Well, hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Plain Talking UK podcast. It's episode 489 and in this week's jam-packed show we've got Kiwi bunk beds, screaming kids, a robot plane and an Airbus that's gone rallying. Uh, well, I'm back from my travels, so there might be a few minor Nev's terminal tantrums <laughs> later on. Uh-huh. And the, the long-awaited draw for our latest competition. In the military, we've got some great shots uh, of the F-117 and an update on the Frecce Tricolory. Uh, tri- Is that how you say it? Bless you. Um, at Oshkosh. I knew I would check that out. Indeed. But yeah, so uh, joining me this week, uh, well, you should be in bed, really, probably. It's uh, Matt Smith, <laughs> who is uh, a bit throaty. No, it's all right. It's, right. It's, it's, it's only man flu. Apparently, it's not fatal. That's what everybody keeps telling me. I don't, I don't believe them personally. But uh, yes, yeah, so uh, yes, apologies in advance. The cough is still with me. So if I do stop talking for a minute, you'll know exactly why, essentially. So we've been up to this week. You've been at uh, work and on the radio, I presume. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, so sort of covering uh, covering the radio. Uh, I've got a late week stint on breakfast while a very dear friend of mine is uh, having a full service and MOT. Um, once that's all done and dusted, then uh, yes. Yeah, so uh, just looking after that, and then obviously the day job as well. So it's. Uh, quite full on at the moment i'm not gonna lie yeah nice. i'm here for a rest just saying well that's yeah well you might not say that in two hours time no, okay right <laughs> uh, so also joining us uh from the southwest of the united kingdom is nick and how are you today nick hi Dev. good to see you um yeah good to good to see everyone again and uh, nice to be back on so yeah thoughts i'd uh, step in while carlos is off on his travels Yes, and thank you for putting all the show notes together this week. And we're not short of uh, some amusing stories, I must say. Yeah, yeah. we've got quite a lot to fit in this week, so uh, I don't yeah. know if we'll get through everything. We might have to drop the military. Well, I, oh, I'm oh, planning steady. on doing just that, oh. Yes, as I'm in the chair tonight. So, um, <laughs> But uh, no, there's no Carlos this week because he's on his way back. Uh, well, he's actually back at Heathrow now. He's uh, been to uh, Geneva with Gemma for a couple of days, um, and he'll tell you all about that next week. Uh, Armando is not here either this week. He's busy flying. Uh, but we have got, as usual, the super sub that is Captain Andy. Hello, matey. Hello. How are you doing? Yeah, very good. Thanks very much indeed. And what have you been up to today? Good. Um, today I have been playing in the simulator. Sorry, working hard, developing and testing <laughs> scenarios in the simulator. Oh, right. Uh, and then I've spent the afternoon deep in regulatory paperwork, which has been great fun. I've literally run from the simulator back to my hotel room to be on tonight. I'm looking forward to it. Oh, how nice. That's very kind of you. Uh, well, I'm back from my travels in uh, Barcelona. I'll tell you a bit more about that uh, later in the show. Um, but, of course, as always, we've got to thank everybody that's in the chat room tonight. Uh, and they include Richard Adams. Uh, Mazus is in there as well. Uh, Nick Codling, of course. Heard of him. Uh, Captain Cruz is on in there. Hobby Time, Dirk S., uh, John Falk's in there. Uh, Tanya is in there as well. Hello, Tanya. Stephen Ivy, good to hear that you're in the chat room as well, Stephen. Great stuff. Uh, who else have we got in there? Evan Shue. It's obviously very late half, or early. Half past silly o'clock. Yeah. Look at it. Half past something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, or just after whatever it is there. Yeah. Um, and uh, Alex Robinson. Hi, Alex. Hope you're well. Long time no see. But mm. uh, yes, it's going to be a very uh, busy show tonight, I think. So. Uh, Let's get start off then. So let's uh, look at some commercial stories. So over to you then, Matt, for the stinger. The captain has turned on the 
the seatbelt light. Please take your seats and fasten your seatbelts. Well, this is an interesting story to begin with. I think Matt's going to take this one. Uh, bunk beds in a aircraft. That's uh, I mean, it, I mean, I'm unusual it, and difficult, isn't it? It sounds good to me. That's all I'm saying. I mean, it's a way of utilising space, isn't it? Let's find out uh, what it's all about, though. It is simpleflying.com is the source on this one. And the headline is Air New Zealand's economy bunk beds will launch this year. Uh, a new flying revolution is expected to take flight this year with Air New Zealand poised to launch its long-awaited Sky Nest, while it's usually scheduled for all the bells and whistles to be reserved for the front of the aircraft, this new era of comfort is destined for the economy-class passenger. Those who have travelled to or from New Zealand know how isolated the nation of 5 million is, with its closest big neighbour of Australia being a three-hour flight away. For those coming from further abroad, a trip to the United States is 13 hours, uh, that's uh, LAX to AKL uh, or uh, from Asia 10 hours Hong Kong to Auckland uh, this much time in economy class can be less than desirable for some so the Star Alliance carrier thought long and hard about improving those in those traveling in economy class and planned to introduce the first bunk beds for passengers in the sky while the airline keeps um, keeps quiet on its exact launch date passengers are expected to see the product launch in September this year with select aircraft featuring six sleep pods to be booked for up to four hours at a time Deployed on some of its long-haul routes, it's widely expected to be seen on its flagship NZ1, NZ2 service between New York, JFK and Auckland, one of the longest flights in the world. The Skynest may uh, also be expected on services uh, to Chicago, the airline's second longest scheduled flight. Pas passengers looking to rug up with a book, that's a phrase I've never heard of, uh, in the Skynest will be able to book the pod for a four-hour maximum block for a cost that's estimated to be between $400 and $600 uh, in uh, that's New Zealand currency, uh, 254 to 380 US dollars at your time of booking in addition to your economy class fare. So that's on top of your economy class fare. The bunk will include linens, which are changed for each passenger. I should blooming well hope so. Uh, the uh, usual sleep cycle, 90 minutes, was well researched before deciding the four hour block was best for travellers with this time allowing adequate time for tra a traveller to wind down fall asleep and then wake up without feeling rushed the bunk bed will include usb charging ports reading lights earplugs sheets blankets pillows and a seat belt to ensure passengers can still adhere to the required safety protocols um, well, I've misread this story because I just assumed. I, I was looking at this. I thought this sounds fantastic, but you've got to share it with other people. You, you've got to book it, and you've got to. You have a time limited uh, event in there. By the sounds of it, indeed, four hours that's is. Um, I mean, that's. that's, that's quite, I suppose it's quite a long time. I mean, it sounds like they have done the research and stuff uh, mm, on yeah, it. But but, but um, that's that's a nap. Yeah. Four hours is a nap. <laughs> Once you've settled down, it's probably going to take you about forty-five, fifty minutes because not your usual bed. 
then you get a nap and then you've got to wake up at no for that money i'd want it for the whole flight yeah i know uh what do you think nick well matt you did miss off at the end that it says that unfortunately no canoodling oh! will be allowed in the sky nest with each bunk reserved for one person at a time so oh, uh, i'm yeah. definitely out i mean i mean i would argue that you know um you know two you know you, you're maximizing the space aren't you you know if you've got two per bunk no, well, where it, are they putting these they, they must have to take either galley space away or toilet space away because they're not going to remove seats yeah i'm curious about that I, I was sort of interested to know whether or not any um layout maps have been done for this because uh, yeah. yeah i kind of imagining that they must have done their sums to know that it's worth their while to take presumably having to sacrifice some seats in order to fit these in hmm. Definitely. If, it's, if it's six pods so what's that call it 300 dollars ago three six twelve hundred quid per four hours and if you get a few people doing it yeah it's a good bit of revenue i mean if you look at the look at the images on the on the article there it looks like it would probably take up a couple of rows, I'm going to guess, worth of space. Yeah, which is why I think they put it at the back where the fuselage curves to the bulkhead. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, judging by the way that, that as you say, it looks in that picture there. Yeah, it's sort of tapered, um, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, uh, for those listening on the audio version, essentially the picture, it's a sort of like pink soft lighting and it looks like it's a V shape, isn't it? It's, there's a, like a little sort of like V shape where it sort of, um, sort of kicks out uh, on either side, doesn't it? Do you think so, we'll see this on other airlines? I don't think we'll see it on this one, if I'm honest. Really? I just think it's... A, I mean, it's... It, it, you say, in theory, it sounds like it, but I mean, it's... You know, that's. I think that's quite a lot of money to have to sort of, you know, shell out uh, just to get, you know, this sort of four-hour nap. And as you say, in, re, in reality, I mean, how well are you going to sleep? How well are suppose, you going to sleep? I suppose you've got to look at what your, what your uplift would be in order to then maybe move your ticket up to a business class, for example, where you would oh. have a, a yeah, reclinable... Yeah, this would be, be a lot cheaper, even with the addition than a business class ticket. Yeah, you'd probably be looking at kind of... You know, say say you're going to spend, let's for argument's sake, say $1,000 on an on a mm. economy ticket. You're probably going to be looking at at least twice that for a business class, aren't you? No, we are four times more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. a lot more. Yeah, for for a flight, say G, uh, JFK to Auckland, you'd be pushing eight, nine, ten grand. Really? Gosh. Yeah. Well, just for business. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's a frightening number, isn't it? Yes. Well, they are launching it this year. They reckon so. Uh, it'll okay. be interesting to see what the uh, reviews are like. Perhaps we'll get Michelle from Turning Left for Less to yeah. review or something like that. See what it's like. Be, be, as you say, very much an interesting, you know, sort of interesting experiment, certainly. Mm. Mm. Yes. We'll see. <laughs> uh, now, this next story um, on paddleyourowncanoe.com. Now, uh, well, we've heard enough about um, doors on aircraft. We're not going to do the usual one that you'd expect us to do. Um, but... Um, What's the most important thing before to do before you open an emergency slide? Um, well, the answer is, if you're on the aircraft, to make sure it's uh, 
disarmed. Unfortunately, uh, this British Airways captain did not do that because a BA captain accidentally deployed an emergency evacuation flight on an Airbus A320 at Heathrow Airport on Saturday after a baggage, baggage issue meant that the cabin door had to be reopened after the slide was already armed. This is the fifth time in little more than a year that an emergency slide has been accidentally deployed on a British Airways plane in bizarre circumstances. In this case, the 22-year-old aircraft had arrived at Heathrow on Saturday morning from Prague and was preparing for its next flight with lots of passengers trying to squeeze as much hand luggage as possible into the overhead lockers. It would appear that space in the overhead lockers ran out and the cabin crew were forced to offload some baggage, causing the potential for a delay. I would never be doing that, to be honest with you. That just sounds like a whole load of trouble right there. But once the cabin door was closed, the slides were immediately armed in order to make up some time. But then the ground staff unexpectedly knocked at the door. Huh? I mean, that, for me, that's just a massive no-no. The slides are never armed, and Andy will hopefully confirm this, until the aircraft is pushing off of the gate and the... Um, <clears throat> Uh, everything is disconnected. Um, but anyway, uh, at this point, the cabin, uh, the captain opened the door to find out what was happening. Uh -oh. And in doing so, accidentally deployed the slide into the side of the air bridge. Uh, what the captain was doing there in the first place is beyond me. But, um, but the accident uh, prompted a full-scale response from emergency service at Heathrow with passengers evacuated from the plane via a set of stairs positioned at the back of the aircraft. Thankfully, no one was injured, but unsurprisingly, the aircraft had to be taken out of service. So oh, the slide could that's be a shock. Replaced. Um, known as inadvertent slide deployments in the aviation industry, uh, these kind of accidents aren't unheard of, but the vast majority are the result of cabin crew failing to properly disarm the slide mechanism and then opening the door for normal arrival act uh, formalities. In fact, early last month, a senior BA cabin crew member accidentally deployed the emergency slide on a 777, we think it was, whilst the plane was still taxiing to the gate in Mumbai as they demonstrated how to open the door in a new to a new hire colleague. Uh, in 2023, two new hire cabin crew opened the emergency exit door immediately after arming the slide for two separate flights. In a third instant, a crew member was meant to disarm the door uh, but instead opened the door and activated the slide. British Airways recently introduced the Japanese ritual of Shisha Kangu, which translates in English to pointing and calling. The ritual involves cabin crew pointing at the door and calling out whether the door is armed or disarmed before preparing the door for departure or arrival. Uh, the idea is that Shisha Kangu will get cabin crew to concentrate on the job in hand. I think they'll be too busy trying to translate from Japanese, personally. But um, and, and uh, also, so to be Andy, fair, the, the issue the issue here for me is it wasn't the cabin crew at fault on this one, by the sound quite. of it. So it would have made absolutely no blooming difference whatsoever. And who Andy, and which, what uh, what Williams. cabin crew is going to have the like the balls, frankly, to sort of challenge <laughs> the captain if he wants to do something? Well, well, they they should be able to because um, you know it's the, it's their train set. You know the, the the door is their responsibility, isn't it? So, what do you think, yeah. Annie? What, what's gone well, on? Well, that to answer Matt's question there, that all depends on the tone that the captain set at the briefing at the beginning of the day. Should yeah. be a nice open atmosphere where you can call out any issues. We're all equals, just legally. I am in charge of the aircraft, but I want to hear everybody's opinion. Um, 
it sounds a bit chaotic, doesn't it? What was going on there? All a bit mm. busy. I find it strange that it's taken till now for BA to introduce or recently a sort of procedure. You've got to slow down when it comes to doors. You don't just want to rush in and rip it open because, mm. as we've seen here, the effects can be catastrophic. Um, and expensive. <laughs> yeah, a slide is not cheap. Mm. And it's a, it's a simple case to fix it. You just remove the slide and put a new one in the container because it's all packed in. Um, but yeah, the captain doing it, now, in, in my airline, we've gone through several different procedures for uh, door arming and opening over the years. As we've put a procedure in place, and then there's been another incident. We found, oh, there's been a flaw there, so let's change this round. So it's been uh, an evolution as time has gone on. Um, we arm them once we make sure all of the ground equipment is removed and clear, like you said, Nev. Um, you should never arm a slide with a bridge attached or any steps or anything like that. So there seems to be a lot of rushing involved in this. They're trying to save time when you should just stick to your SOPs and do the job properly. Um, yeah, the captain going out. In my airline, we've got set procedures for the cabin crew and how they disarm doors and how they check it. But for the flight deck, we don't. Um, we, we're allowed to just go and open a door if we want to. But on the 320, the arming handle for the slide... It's this bright yellow handle, and if it's disarmed, it's in the up position, and there should be uh, a pin in the door with a flag over the top, saying remove before flight, so that you know it's disarmed. Whereas if it is armed, it's down flush with the body of the door, and there's also a little um, red warning, not placard, sort of indication to show that the door is armed. So it looks like it was just a big rush. He thought it wasn't armed because maybe their procedures are you shouldn't do that until the equipment's removed anyway. And he thought, oh, the bridge is still attached, so it must be armed. There could, it's all sorts of possibilities here. Key is, I think, just slow down. Take your time. Yeah. Gosh. Mm. Uh, Alex makes a good point in the chat room. He says, I'm surprised the captain was the one opening the door. Yeah. Again, it all depends on what was going on. Hmm. Yeah, As you I say, don't know. There's, there's, I feel like something's missing from this story. Still, I don't know. So common sense, perhaps. Um, I mean, there is that <laughs> argument, I suppose. <laughs> if you want to put, put a label on it, I mean, <laughs> you have to wonder really... a little bit what the circumstances might be whereby the captain has elected to leave the cockpit to, to deal with something. When you might think that that might be something that he would delegate, he or she. Yeah, I mean, the passengers whose bags were being removed could have been getting quite irate, and he decided right. to get involved. I mean, the engines yep. aren't running, so there's no restriction on leaving the flight deck at that point. Um, it's up to his judgment at, the, at that time if he wants to go out and get involved. I guess it all depends how heated it was getting as well, and maybe just a bit of authority. I don't know if BA still wear hats anymore now. I'm not sure they do. Um, but stick the hat on, go outside, and show a bit of authority and say, look, we're not going anywhere until this is sorted. It's my decision. But who knows, again, it's it's all sort of... We know the outcome, but we don't know the exact details of what was going on inside. No, we don't. We definitely don't. Presumably mm. there'll be an AIB report about it, I would imagine. Uh, I don't, I don't think it's classed as a, something for the AIB. I think it'll just be internal. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, well, from uh, slides to something completely different. Uh, Nick, this is quite an interesting story that you've got uh, next. Yeah. Um, one of these ones where 
it sort of feels a bit like someone who's got a lot of money is <laughs> throwing it at things which have eluded humanity for a very long time but we'll we'll see what the outcome is um so it's from um businessinsider.com and the headline is a former u.s air force officer spent 11 million dollars searching for amelia Earhart's long lost plane and may have found it so a pilot and former u.s air force intelligence officer believes an image he captured using us using sonar on a high-tech unmanned submersible may have finally answered one of america's most baffling mysteries what caused the disappearance of the iconic pilot amelia Earhart at the height of her fame tony romeo is one of a long line of researchers and hobbyists to have taken up the search for Earhart's distinctive lockheed electra plane which disappeared over the pacific ocean along with its famous pilot and its navigator Fred Noonan during an attempt to circumnavigate the globe in July of 1937. The mystery surrounding Earhart's disappearance has long puzzled researchers and spurred conspiracy theories over the years, including the Japanese taking her prisoner and her being a government spy. But to Romeo, a former real estate investor who sold commercial properties to raise the $11 million needed, he must have sold a lot of commercial properties, um to begin funding the or just one big one <laughs> in yeah that's true returned in december from a roughly 100 day voyage at sea with a sonar image that he believes shows the lost plane in the ocean's depths his expedition which was carried out using a nine million dollar high-tech unmanned submersible drone uh, and a research crew of 16 started last september um covered 5200 square miles of the ocean floor This has been a story that's always intrigued me and all things in my life kind of collided at the right moment, Romeo, whose father and brothers are also pilots, told Business Insider. I was getting out of real estate and looking for a new project, so even though I really only started about 18 months ago, this was something I've been thinking about and researching for a long time. Roughly a month into the trip, The team captured a sonar image of the plane-shaped object about 100 miles from Howland Island, but didn't discover the image uh, in the submersible's data until the 90th day of the voyage, making it impractical to turn back and get a closer look. Uh, Experts have shown interest in the finding, with um, Dorothy Cochran, a curator at the Smithsonian Institute National Air and Space Museum, telling the journal that the reported location where the image was taken is just about right geographically compared to where Erhot's flight is believed to have gone down. Romeo told Business Insider that if it wasn't Erhot's plane, the object he found could be a different missing aircraft lost in the Pacific or, less interestingly perhaps, another man-made object that fell off a shipping container. But as of now, he's feeling confident, so that's good, um, that he's made a groundbreaking discovery due to the distinctive shape of the fuselage tail and wings. Um, I don't know. What do you think, guys? Um, I mean... It says here that hopeful explorers have pumped millions of dollars into expeditions to find the lost plane, um, but her last known location has made searches difficult. Uh, It's very deep water, and uh, she could have... And the area she could have been in is huge. Um, I, th- I think the chances of it being intact, as the shape of that would suggest, mm. are slim. It's also been in salty seawater for nearly 100 years. So I doubt... maybe, maybe it had a really good paint job. 
Well, <laughs> yeah. But see, metal corrodes pretty well in salty seawater. Does it, again, forgive, forgive my naivety here and, and please shoot me down in flames if I'm wrong, but because it's in the, at the bottom of the ocean and it is in salty water, there's the lack of oxygen, would that perhaps slow down the corrosion process? Look at, look at the Titanic. There's very little of that left now. Well, for its size, there's a lot yeah, of it left, true, but what yeah. went down there... A hundred years ago, a lot of mm. it has disappeared. Um, and also, but, why, why spend all the money going searching for this? Really? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, he's on about recovering the aircraft, and you kind of think, well, actually, maybe it should regardless stay where of it who is, might you know. have been inside it, you know, ultimately, you know, if that's a site where somebody lost their life, then is mm. that something you should be mucking about with? But, yeah, I mean, is there a, it. you know, as you say, it's like, fair enough, you know, uh, in some respects, lovely if they have located it. But as you say, you know, maybe it should stay where it is, if you like, yeah. as as Amelia's last rest resting place, essentially. Yes. Yeah. And also, it, it could be any aircraft. It could be something, like it says, that's yeah. fallen off a ship. Yeah. It just, just to happens me, to be the correct shape. <laughs> yeah. Um, which is a bit suspect, to be honest. Yeah. No, there, there is another quote at the end of the article where the, the gentleman said that there's a lot of cool stuff in the Pacific and World War II aircraft and flight MH370 are still out there. And maybe we can make a run at those at some point. Oh, dear. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't want to be uncharitable, but I think there is a phrase about a fool and their money. Um, and a lot of people have tried really hard to find MH370. Oh, yeah, but he's got a bigger checkbook. Well, maybe. Bit, bits of it have definitely washed up in places. Really? Yes, that is yeah. true. Yeah. A flapper on was definitely found off the aircraft. Yep. So it is out there in bits. Yes. Yep. So it's not. It wasn't flown to the Malaysian jungle then. No. Oh. <laughs> now, of course, uh, there's been a lot of talk in the press about uh, aircraft misbuilds and assembly problems, normally relating to the Boeing uh, company. But uh, as Andy will point out now, uh, there's other manufacturers with, uh, with some issues as well. Yeah, this is from simpleflying.com. Uh, EASA warns of potential Airbus A380 fuselage gaps. The European Union Aviation Safety Agency, or EASA, to make it easier, has warned that there might be potential gaps in the fuselage of certain Airbus A380 aircraft, which could reduce the structural integrity of the fuselage. The regulator issued its final rule airworthiness directive, an AD, on January 31, 2024, which includes instructions for operators on addressing the potentially unsafe condition. According to EASA, it was determined that during the assembly process of several A380s, the splicing installation on the affected areas had not been performed according to the manufacturer's drawings. As a result, necessary shims that reduce the misalignment of the upper and lower frames have not been installed or are mislocated. This means that at specific fuselage frames, there might be a potential gap or shims that were incorrectly installed between the lower frame and the splice. The affected areas of the splicings are in these frames here. I don't know why we'd need to know them, because I don't, know, <laughs> I don't have a drawing, a technical drawing of the aircraft to check. Right, OK. Um, an Airbus issued a service bulletin on the 31st of October 2023, which he asked was followed up with this AD. 
Uh, this condition, if not detected and corrected, could lead to built stress in the junction of affected frames, increasing fatigue potential, possibly resulting in reduced structural integrity of the centre fuselage. To detect the potential gaps, the regulator has instructed airlines to conduct a general visual inspection of the affected area according to the instructions outlined by the aircraft manufacturer in the uh, safety bulletin. Uh, the inspections must be accomplished before the airframe accumulates 75,900 flight hours or 10,300 flight cycles, whichever occurs first since the aircraft was manufactured. Uh, and EASO has defined the manufacturing date as when the ownership is transferred to the first operator. Uh, if airlines find cracks in the frame, they should contact their bus for repair instructions, like an MO, like a warranty, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or refer to the SB to repair the cracks, depending on the number of frames on which any crack is found and the size of the cracks. Lastly, operators are required to reinstall the removed, repaired, or newly assembled parts according to the instructions in the Airbus bulletin. Uh, according to CH Aviation data, no active stored or in maintenance aircraft, uh, sorry, A380 aircraft, have accumulated this amount of flight time or cycles. The highest number uh, of flight hours can be found on one of Qantas A380s, Victor Hotel Oscar Quebec Bravo, which has accumulated 56,203 flight hours as of October. Um, the highest. Uh, Flight cycles can be found on two Emirates Airbus A380s, which have 7,117 and 6,821 flight cycles. So there we go. So there's clearly not an actual hole in the fuselage, otherwise these things wouldn't pressurise. So it must be just in the stringers and potential gaps that could weaken uh, the airframe. Hmm. Yes. Um, now... Um... Could you just explain to everybody, Andy, what the difference between flight hours and flight cycles are? Yeah, so uh, so flight hours are literal hours airborne from getting off the ground to landing at your destination. But flight cycles are the pressurisation. So an aircraft is mainly defined, it's life, on how many cycles it can do, how many times you can basically blow the balloon up and let the balloon down again before it might um, rupture. So in the case of short-haul aircraft, they don't last as long as long-haul aircraft because, say you're doing a lot of domestic flights, it may have a 1,000 cycles on it, yet only 2,000 hours, whereas on a long-haul aircraft, it might have a 1,000 cycles on it, but those hours could be up to 10,000 hours on the airframe. So there is a difference between the two, and that's why they've selected specific flight hours or flight cycles, whichever has occurred first. And presumably the, the most stress is uh, uh, when you do a flight cycle, isn't it? When you yes, pressurise and depressurise the aircraft, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's like a balloon, just constantly blowing a balloon up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. Mm. Eventually it will pop. And that's how the design Which makes sense. Mm. Yeah. yeah. It does make sense. Which is also perhaps, a, and again, am I sort of like, um, you know, speaking a bit out of turn here, but, you know, maybe some of, you know, like the, the, the smaller aircraft, like the Cessnas and all that kind of thing that don't have to be pressurised in order to use them. I mean, does that have a, you know, a factor on their potential overall shelf life because of that? That's why you can have aircraft that are sort of 40 plus years old, like the little the little planes, because they've, you know, they're, they're not being pressurised and, and, you know, blown up and let go again, essentially. With with light aircraft like that, it's generally the wing spar that's the limit yeah, for how much fair. loading it's taken over the years. Yeah. But that's very easy to inspect. 
and yeah. can be replaced as well. Yeah, indeed. In stark contrast to a fuselage. Yeah. <laughs> Quite. Now, Matt, I was a bit worried about this next story because it, it, I was, we might uh, have a problem with our clean rating. Uh, oh no, really? On, on Apple Podcasts. <clears throat> okay, but, uh, tell us all about it. All right, here we go. Good luck, everyone. Uh, it's uh, the uh, website is unilad.com. That's never a good start, is it? Um, uh, headline is airline divides opinions after introducing adults only section on their plane. I, I feel le like, Nev, I don't know if I, I should do this really, but I feel like I need to sort of um, uh, play this. Shall I, shall I play this as my backing while, I, while I'm... Well, yes, let's see how we okay. get on. But, uh, yeah. There are a few things that can happen on planes that can ruin your journey, whether it's semi-wrestling someone over the armrest, flight delays or terrifying turbulence. There are a couple of things that can that can take away from the experience. According to many, one of the most annoying things you can encounter on a flight is a screaming baby, even though we know that this is not their fault. No such thing as rude newborn in an effort to make flights as pleasant as possible. Corandon. Ah, so, I, I, so it's that sort of adult. So oh, I see. Oh, well, that's no fun. You've got to cut the music on. I've had to turn it off. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, according to many, one of the most annoying things you can encounter on the flight is, is said screaming baby. Uh, <laughs> uh, Corridon, though, however, has introduced an adult-only zone on their plane, a decision that has polarised the internet. The new rule means that only people over the age of 16 can enter these upgraded zones, which are apparently pretty cheap considering with the upgrade only costing $48 the seats are located at the front of the plane and there are usually 93 seats available in those zones for people who are looking for a guaranteed peaceful flight uh, Atile uh, Us Uslu who is the founder of uh, Corandon said in a statement uh, on board our uh, flights we always strive to respond to the different needs of our customers we also believe this can have a positive effect on parents traveling with small children they can enjoy the flight without worrying if their children are making too much noise however the move seems to have divided people with some taking to x slash twitter to uh share their opinions with <coughs> excuse me Apologies for that. Uh, with, uh, however, the move seems to have divided people, with some taking to Twitter slash X to share their opinions with. One just bluntly stating, uh, thank God children are an annoyance. Okay, that's not okay. Uh, another commented, I would prefer drunk, obnoxious, men-free zones. I'll take that. Uh, another uh, felt slightly differently, writing, at, those, uh, at, at whose expense is this? Put kids with their parents and discounted price based on age and height. Another agreed, uh, let's not restrict air travel, uh, but also further discourage people from having children. Ugh, why do people hate families? Uh, the uh, flights have already uh, been launched uh, back in November of last year with Corandon being the first European airline to implement this particular in-flight upgrade. Uh, Malaysia Air, Air, Malaysia's Air Asia, India, India's Indigo and Singapore's Scoot uh, airlines offer something similar called quiet zones to give passengers a break if they feel the need. Uh, again, it's not the children's fault for any noise as it could be due to colic or could just be the baby being a, be being a baby. It's something unavoidable. It seems like quiet child-free zones were, were made with those in mind who need to sleep while 
on a flight. Hmm. Yes, it's a very divisive subject, isn't it? Um, here's, here's a question for you. What if you're in the 93rd seat? You've paid that money. Are you, have you then got crying babies behind you? Well, I, I, suppose, I suppose if you're further away and it's not in your ear, is that something you can cope with well, I mean, if, I don't know. I mean, there's no gap in the seats, is there? They're not going to leave a gap of seats. So you get <laughs> the last row of this quiet zone, then the row behind is going to be noisy. Yeah. I mean... If you're that worried about it, I'm sorry. Business class, that would be my solution to it. Oh, the, some of the noisiest people are in uh, business class. Oh, are they? Oh, really? I was just about to say. No, <laughs> surely not. <laughs> oh, yes. And in the lounge. Really? See, yeah. I, I was actually being serious. You're actually being serious, aren't you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. Why? Because What, what they are can. they doing? Oh, okay. Fair because enough. they can. Okay. It's new enough. money. New money. Oh, okay. That's <laughs> Yeah. Ah, ah, fair enough. Yeah. Is, now, but, uh, Nick, you've got a bit of a story here about when you came back from Hong Kong. Is is that right? Yes. Um, so I had a, a a large gentleman um, who had the window seat. Nothing wrong uh, with that. I, Just so I had the. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a I'm a, a, a man of stature myself. Um, <laughs> so you know, I understand that there is the the wrestle for the armrest. Um, this gentleman was winning that wrestle, um, and I let him. Um, Fair enough. Very good. And of across you. the aisle from me, there was a, a lady that was travelling with three babies, um, and you know, fair play to her because she was having to cope with that on her own. And unfortunately, one of them was very unhappy for the entire duration of the twelve-hour-plus flight. Um, and yeah, I, I always tend to travel with earplugs anyway. Um, I did consider putting an additional pair of earplugs on top of the ones that I'd already inserted into my ears because uh, <laughs> they didn't seem to make much difference. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's public transport, isn't it? And um, if you want a nicer experience, you pay more money. Yeah. That's what it boils down yeah. to, isn't and, it? And go in the noisy seats in business class, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go private jet. That's what you want. Ah, right. Yeah, fair enough. Well, why don't they put the noisy people in the private jets? Why don't they do that? And then, they, you know, because they want to show off how much money they've got, then clearly that's the answer. Yeah, they, they don't have enough money for that. <laughs> oh, okay, right. <laughs> uh, now, talking of customer experiences, um, on the southwest, uh, yes, uh, swamedia.com, uh, it says that Southwest Airlines is onboarding a new look and feel with plans for redesigned aircraft cabin conveniences and interiors that are distinctly Southwest and will feature new aircraft seats from Ricardo, or as one of my colleagues used to call them many years ago, Ricardo. I no matter how many times I corrected him. He always called it Ricardo. I don't know why. Uh, but alongside these efforts, Southwest announces an employee uniform refresh that will bring a modern look to more than 53,000 Southwest employees. Uh, they're going to be partnering with Tangerine, which is a leading design company that specialises in transportation to create an updated cabin interior for new aircraft deliveries beginning next year. The design is based on extensive research covering customer and employee perceptions of colour, comfort and their aspirations for the overall onboard experience. The design brings to life Southwest's warm energy with deep blue tones, sky blue accents and a nod to the Southwest heart woven throughout the carpet. As part of the refresh, customer research and product testing guided Southwest to select the global supplier 
of premium aircraft seats Recaro uh, to provide comfortable seating that complements the calm blue palette uh, planned for the refreshed cabins. The southwest heart will be threaded throughout the interior with a recognisable symbol debossed on seat Tony Roach, who's Senior Vice President and Chief Customer Officer at Southwest Airlines. Our redesigned cabin interior significantly enhances our in-flight customer experience and will complement the amazing service that our crews provide. The new Recaro seats including, uh, include a multi-adjustable headrest cushion for enhanced head and neck support, an intuitively designed seat for ultimate comfort whilst maximising seat width and overall support, uh, the upgrades continue as each seat also will include a personal electronic device hold for customers to enjoy uh, free one uh, in-flight entertainment on their devices more easily. Uh, Recaro is proud to collaborate on expanding our footprint into the Americas, especially when working with a local partner like Southwest who began this, their story at the same time as us, says uh, Mark uh, Hillier, who's uh, CEO of Recaro Aircraft Seating and Recaro Holding. Uh, our new seat will be a great addition to the Southwest customer experience and uh, its durable design and comfort features will serve passengers well. Uh, we're delighted to be part of the Southwest historic journey and the next phase into their modernization plan, said Matt Round, who's Chief Creative Officer at Tangerine. We've listened to Southwest's customers and employees and responded by creating a distinctive new cabin interior that meets and exceeds their desires. By working closely with Southwest and all suppliers involved, we were able to ensure the design intent was executed in the cabin to the highest possible quality and the stunning result is a testament to what can be achieved through a collaborative spirit from all those involved. You can tell that the press office wrote that, can't you? Well, really? What gave it away? Yes. <laughs> um, so it's new interior. That's the summary of all that. Okay, right. <laughs> fair, fair enough. Very nice. <laughs> Lovely. Well done, everyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh, I don't know. I think it looks great. Yeah, it could have been said in uh, fewer words, though. I, I think. Yes, but yes, but the press office have a have a you know have a magical um, budget. You know, they're, they're I think they're paid by the word. Those folks, aren't they? Oh, uh, without question. There's there's, there's no yes. two ways about that. Yeah, definitely. Um, but uh, well, you know, Carlos was concerned about the thickness of the seat cushions in the in the show notes. He, was he? He was a bit worried that the the seats might be a bit uh, a bit on the stingy side. I, I believe. I don't know. I did read a comment somewhere about the fact that because they'd made the seats thinner, they could basically fit more seats in. Mm. I don't know if that's true. Um, but, uh, well. I mean, I guess slimming everything down definitely helps. Um, there's, there's still a limit to how many aircraft, uh, how many seats you can fit, how many mm. it's certified for. Yes. Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess if you've got a, for want of a better word, a skinnier seat, it might mean that the person sat behind it might have a bit more knee room, perhaps. Yeah, better leg room. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Let's just hope it's comfortable. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, I've sat on a lot of Recaro seats. Uh, my airline went through fears of using them, and they were very comfy, and they were very thin, but they were still very comfortable. Right. Well, okay. They, they kind of know what they're doing, Recaro, don't they? Yeah. That is the room. Has the, the Nevmobile got Recaro seats? It has, and the previous one did as well. Although mm. I'm glad I've moved on to this car because the previous one, uh, they, well, because I've put on a bit of weight, obviously, as well, um, it, it, a bit squeezing one side a little bit more. 
than they should be. So you oh, I see. On right. them rather than in them, if you. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. Poised. Uh, Dirk S does make a good point. The lighter the seat, the less fuel burn as well. Yep. Yes, of course, because yes. that that will be their motivation, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely, that will be their motivation. Yeah, it will be more than anything else, I suspect. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, now, this next story uh, is I, I can't even introduce it. It's just I've never seen anything <laughs> like it or heard anything like it in my life. Uh, but we're going to get uh, the A320 expert Andy to tell us all about it. Yes, yeah, so this one is from gitcheck.com, and this is Avion Express Airbus A320 dramatic runway excursion caught on video. And Avion Express uh, A320 flying from, I still can't believe they call it this, Milan-Bergamo, they're nowhere near each other, <laughs> airport in Italy, Italy to Vilnius International in Lithuania suffered a rather dramatic runway excursion, that's putting it lightly, and it was all captured in photos and video. The flight from Milan to Vilnius was operated by a 12-year-old A320 registered Lima Yankee November Victor Lima. I thought it was being operated by a 12-year-old then, sorry, I zoned <laughs> out briefly, it was just like, wow, okay, there's your problem. O operated by a qualified crew as well. Yeah. Uh, after touching down on runway 19, the aircraft slid off the runway onto the soft ground to the right, spraying up lots of surrounding water and dirt. The aircraft then slid across taxiway delta and eventually came to a stop. Usually, pilots would leave the aircraft in position and let the ground crew tow the aircraft to safety, but the pilots on board this flight decided to use engine thrust to taxi themselves back onto the runway before vacating on taxiway Echo to the most northerly section of the ramp. The once white aircraft was drenched in mud <laughs> as a result of the reverse thrust still being active during the excursion. Sources close to the airline noted damage to the landing gear and surrounding areas, as well as damage to the underbelly fairing. They also reported both engines ingested quite a bit of mud when it slid around on the soft ground. At the time of the incident, there was light drizzle reported at the airfield. I'm sure airport officials were happy that the aircraft was taxied the ramp on its own power as the runway was closed for less than three hours. As for what will happen to the pilots, it left to be seen as an investigation is now being carried out. I'm not surprised. Yes. Wow. I mean, the damage to the underside of the aircraft is... Um, is unbelievable it could have all been avoided because those panels on on the underside uh, apart from the main fuselage all the fairings around the main body where it looks flat underneath the 320 um, they're all just fiberglass uh, sections so it doesn't take much to destroy them and uh, a bit of mud at high speed has caused a lot of damage but the video where it's got max reverse and the the spray because these are v2500 as well I think looking at the um the pictures so it's it's ingesting so much water and mud and fod i just don't know what came went across their mind to think right lads let's get this out of the mud pretend like nothing happened seems very strange doesn't it i just Do you I think just, it would have damaged yeah. the engines andy uh potentially a lot of that mud could have got into the core so it could be baked yep. in there so it'll have to be a boroscope uh, done on it. It's it's going to be down for a long time. The damage to the underside all needs to be repaired. Uh, there'll be mud in all of the flap mechanisms, so that will be need to be cleaned and checked. It'll be the same for the flight controls. The whole aircraft needs a wash. Uh, it, oh, a mess. It's not just a case of getting the karcher out and uh, giving it a quick once-over. Yeah, give it a once-over the karcher, blast through the engines as well with it. Um, <laughs> That'll be fine. Yeah. 
mental that they even... I mean, okay, they slid off the runway. That's another topic as to why that occurred. Well, that, that was my next question, actually, is why do you think this happened in the first place? I don't know, because there's no footage or evidence of why it slid off the runway, unless the runway was heavily contaminated with water, which it might have been, because there's a lot of spray, but when you look at the background, you can see the centre line, and it's not really particularly wet so i don't know mishandling is potentially the, mm. what happened here but the fact that the captain thought it was a good idea just to power on through and through and he could have hit anything it could have caused the landing gear to collapse coming out of there oh it, yeah doesn't no, think about good. really does it no doesn't I mean, could it be that. possible that perhaps if there was some kind of aquaplaning on one side of the aircraft that that might have caused it to sort of pitch one way yep absolutely and then they kick, just kick the brakes out and just try and bring it back to the centre line. Yep. But uh, presumably, I mean, the runway must... You would imagine that that runway would be sufficiently wide enough to be relatively tolerant of some degree of deviation from the centre line. Yeah, it'll have been a 45-metre runway, and it, it will probably be grooved as well. Yeah. Um, like looking at the pictures, it, do, it really doesn't look that wet on the runway. Um, I don't know. Mm. There's no um, actual weather data in here. I guess that's on the Averold. Um But yeah, I'm just looking now. Light drizzle, overcast, bit of mist. It's five degrees. Yeah, but not that bad, really. Mm. Mm. Yeah, a strange one. But uh, mm. paperwork will be being filled out. A lot That's of paperwork, yes. yeah, absolutely. And th yeah. this one is definitely an investigation as it's a runway excursion, so right. we'll, we will get an answer on this one eventually. Yeah, yeah. fascinating. Good stuff. Uh, right, well, back to the A380 then. Uh, on simpleflying.com, it says Global Airlines, uh, which is a startup looking to launch operations with the Airbus A380, has taken ownership of its first aircraft. Uh, the A380, with manufacturer serial number 120, was registered in Malta uh, earlier this week with the registration uh, 9 Hotel um, Global. G-L-O-B-L. Let's see what they did there. Mm. Um, Simple Flying has obtained the aircraft's new registration certificate. Global Airlines' business plan has faced much criticism, primarily because of its planned Airbus A380, uh, A380 use and um, ambitious launch timelines. Uh, well, whatever your views on the airline, today's news shows that the startup has taken a solid step forward. Uh, when a China Southern uh, Airbus A380 registered as Bravo 6140 was flown out to the Mojave Desert in late 2022, it was widely accepted that the aircraft would likely never fly again. However, things are looking up for the giant aircraft that last flew uh, in December 2022. Uh, since arriving in Mojave, this aircraft was moved to the US uh, November register with the registration November 123 Kilo Kilo. However, FAA data shows that the aircraft was deregistered uh, to be exported to Malta. Uh, and the Transport Malta Civil Aviation Directorate issued a registration certificate for the aircraft showing Global Airlines as the new owner of the jet and Highfly as the um, aircraft's registrant. Uh, according to Global Airlines, work is already underway to return the quad jet to a flight-worthy status. The aircraft fluids such as hydraulics and oil have already been renewed and the airline says that 
Business Class Aviation is testing all systems to the standard that a new aircraft would be put through following Airbus's instructions. So far, all tests, including a near full thrust engine run, have been successful. The aircraft is reported to be in excellent condition and Simple Flying understands that the aircraft will keep its China Southern seats but will undergo a complete cabin refurbishment. So what's next for the giant aircraft now that Global Airlines has taken ownership of it? Uh, well, the aircraft is expected to be flown out of the Mojave Air and Spaceport in the next few weeks. Uh, we know that uh, wet lease uh, specialist Highfly is expected to operate the first ferry flight but where the jet will head to is unknown. Uh, commenting on the news, James Asquith, who's CEO and founder of Global Airlines, commented, Lots of people predicted we wouldn't even make it this far, and I couldn't be happier to be giving uh, MSN 120 a second lease of life. Purchasing an aircraft takes a phenomenal amount of time, and over the past year, we, with support from partners, have been putting the building blocks in place to take full ownership of the aircraft and plan its first flight. Gosh, well, this is a story right. that's been going on for a long time, hasn't it? But there's a little detail in here. Mm. Global own the aircraft, but it's registered to high fly. That, oh, okay. That's, that's like our aircraft. There's a panel in the flight deck, and it tells you who owns the aircraft. Yes. Now, in a lot of cases, we own a lot of them. But in some of the earlier ones, they're owned by companies like Wells Fargo Bank and people like mm. that. They actually own the aircraft, and it's registered to us. So this right. doesn't actually mean that they've got an airline off the ground. It just means he's bought an aircraft. And he's leasing it out to someone, essentially. But it's, been, it, but it's on the registry for HighFly to operate. Hmm. So my, my take on it is that HighFly will basically operate the aircraft for global yeah and global will in effect provide their own branding which is very different to setting up your own airline because <laughs> yeah. it's going to have to run on the high fly aoc right so yeah. they'll provide the pilots the cabin for, crew, the forgive train. me what's aoc that's the uh, air operator certificate okay right. so they have all of the processes in place to train and uh, keep all their cabin crew and pilots current and they also have their own maintenance procedures because they've already got their own A380s as well, Highfly, so they, they're already an operator. It's in my mind, on paper, this is just Highfly have got another A380, but it's just it's global that own it. That's right. It. So they, no, they actually no longer fly an A380. Um, oh, do so they if you, if you look on the Highfly website, they're basically listing as flying 320, 330 and 340. Um, but as you say, they are very experienced with the A380. Yeah, um, they have A380 experience and they'll have all the operating manuals for one from mm. previously so they, mm. and they have the experience. So yeah, so this is a virtual airline essentially. Yeah. So is, what, that not, I mean, is that not um, cheating though? <laughs> yeah, of course it is. Yeah, all right, well, I think okay, we all feel right. a bit sceptical, don't we, Nev? But unless, <laughs> unless you know about these things, it looks like Global is an airline. Yeah, what? true. Yeah. I'll give you that. Complete with their own range of merch. Yes, yeah. I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a, I mean, it's a lovely hoodie. That's all that I'm saying. Nice there hoodie, you go. It's it? a nice hoodie. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to get one of those. Yeah, we need to get us. We need some PT UK hoodies. I agree. Mm. Oh yes, please. I love a hoodie. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've got. I've got a nice one. I've got a nice grey one um, with a with a logo on it. That I'll send it to you, Andy. Leave it with me. Because I I had some made up. So. Oh. 
Did you? I did. Yes. Yeah. 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 You kept that quiet. Yeah. I know. We have to have some. We have to have some secrets, dear. No, that's fair. <laughs> now this is an interesting story that was on the BBC News this week. I don't know if you saw it on the television, but it's uh, on the BBC's website, um, and it says that um, a team of scientists and engineers have landed in Antarctica to test a drone that will help experts forecast the impacts of climate change. Uh, the autonomous plane will map areas of the continent that have been out of bounds to researchers. It's been put to the test in extreme weather around Wales's highest peaks and its first experiment will survey the mountains under an ice sheet to predict how quickly the ice could melt and feed into global sea level rise. Scientists want to understand Antarctica better, but they are limited by the existing technology. Uh, strong winds, below freezing temperatures and sudden storms are common. These dangerous conditions, as well as dark winters and the need to transport pilots and large amounts of fuel, put limitations on the use of traditional crewed planes. Uh, the British Antarctic Survey developed the new drone uh, with UK company Windracers to be easily repaired if something goes wrong. Uh, the drone was tested in Snowdonia in North Wales, a stand-in for the difficult weather and terrain of Antarctica. Uh, during a practice running strong winds with rain lashing the airfield, engineer Rebecca Toomey explained that the drone can fly to remote areas without concerns for pilot safety. It can carry 100 kilograms of cargo up to 1,000 kilometres, and instruments including radar and cameras are loaded into the back of the drone and on its wings. Uh, its route is programmed in and uh, an engineer monitors the flight from a computer. Rebecca will operate the drone from uh, Rotherham base in Antarctica, but eventually the British Antarctic Survey hope to fly it from the UK. It also uses much less fuel than traditional planes, 10 barrels compared to 200 on one research flight, reducing the environmental impact of scientific research on the planet. Uh, the data uh, it collects will be processed at the British Antarctic Service, uh, Survey headquarters in Cambridge. Scientist Tom Jordan explains that some of it will field, field feed into a model of the continent called Bedmap 2 that shows the complex shape of the land under the ice. Uh, during a question mark over parts of the map, he explains that large areas of Antarctica are still unmapped because no one has ever been able to get there. You can see mountain ridge under ice here and there, uh, but does that continue across? Are parts under sea level? I just don't know, he says. Survey work is really exciting because it's a proper blank in the map. Antarctic's, uh, Antarctica's vice vast ice covers huge mountain ranges, some the size of European Alps and trenches and valleys, and some areas are below sea level. Uh, in the first experiment, radar on the drone will fire radio waves at an ice sheet called Fuchs Piedmont. Uh, some will go into the ice sheet, hit the ground at the base and bounce back. And the drone will listen for those reflections and use them to draw the shape of the land. It builds up the picture going line by line. This is another thing that drones are great for, doing things that are really boring, he explains. Uh, well, the first flights will be in the next few weeks and other experiments, including uh, surveys of the marine-like uh, life krill, which are a vital part of the food chain, and surveys of environmentally sensitive areas. Um, many years ago, uh, the British Antarctic Survey were a customer of mine. Uh, I'm talking about 
the oh, early eight, low, what was it, late 80s probably up in Cambridge and uh, I had the pleasure of talking to a couple of the pilots there. The, the challenges of flying in that part of the world are absolutely enormous um, and obviously safety is everything down in that part of the world but uh, you have really got to know what you're doing and what the limitations are uh, down there because the weather is absolutely atrocious so it's yeah. extremely challenging for the crews I would imagine. Well yeah, done the name of that ice sheet by the way. I'd have messed that up. Uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> and we were worried about our Apple rating earlier in the show. Yes. <laughs> exactly right. Never mind. We escaped. Well done, Nev. You see, that's the consummate yeah, profe we... professional, well, of course. You know, yeah. But, uh, of course, we're going to find out some more about drones in about uh, three weeks' time, aren't we? Can't wait. Uh, Very, very excited. And I'm joining you, which I'm even more excited I about. Know. I can't well, believe it. I'm actually well, going as well. We'll talk a bit more about that uh, towards the end of the show, but uh, no, that could be interesting. That's partly but... why I put this story in, actually. Sorry mm. sorry to interrupt you there, Nev. Mm. I, was, uh, I was actually talking to a former colleague um, and somebody that I know within the engineering industry who actually came across the, the wind racer company that, that makes these drones uh, and he'd actually been to visit them and was telling me quite excitedly about how cool they are um, and that they're, they're made um, down near Southampton and yeah. Uh, yeah it sounds like a really interesting organization um, very well funded and they seem to be doing some some really great things so you know, I think as much as maybe as aviation enthusiasts, we prefer our aircraft to have pilots in them. Um, you know, this is all, all part of our drive to, to be open-minded about these things. Well, that's the, the point of going to the event in Dublin in, in March, uh, is yeah. to just learn more about this stuff and, and speak to a lot more people that know more than we do. Don't put me out of a job yet, Nick. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't want to do that, Andy, don't worry. <laughs> uh, now, Matt, you've got the uh, last story, story 10. Indeed, indeed. And uh, uh, we're off to the... Uh, ooh, I've, I've got no link on there. I don't know where it's from. But anyway, uh, SAS converts uh, Boeing 737 into medivac plane for Ukrainian wounded uh, Scandinavian Airlines. SAS has turned a Boeing 737-700 into a flying ambulance to evacuate wounded uh, and uh, critically ill patients from the Ukraine. Uh, the plane has been fitted with medical equipment and hospital beds. The ongoing medivac operation takes part within the framework of the EU civil protection mechanism, which makes it possible for wounded personnel to be evacuated from Ukraine to hospitals throughout Europe, where patients can receive medical treatment. The flights are also supported by the Norwegian Armed Forces and Directorate of Health, which uh, with which SAS has a long-standing agreement. On February the second, twenty twenty-four, it was extended for an additional nine months until November twenty twenty-four. SAS aircraft have participated in medivac and emergency evacuation operations in the past, such as during the two thousand and four Southeast Asia tsunami and the conflict in Afghanistan. On the first of February twenty-four. SAS conducted its 100th medivac uh, mission uh, connected to the, the war in Ukraine. Since the start of uh, Russia's full-scale invasion, more than 2,000 patients and their relatives have been flown by SAS aircraft from an evacuation centre in Poland. The aircraft involved in this operation is a Boeing 737-700 with registration Lima November 
Romeo Papa Juliet. It happens to be the last of the type operating with the Scandinavian airline. SAS retired the last 737 in commercial service in, in November 2023. Interesting, yeah. And that was a good story, that one. You did, we did that on the show, didn't we? The, uh, where they did the flyover of Copenhagen. Oh, yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. last 737. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, as, as I say, it's quite, bigger, quite a lot bigger to some of the other ones that we've seen there. I mean, I suppose you've got plenty of room there, haven't you? That's one of the advantages about the larger one. Well, you can get quite a few yeah. beds in a, in a 737, can't you? Well, oh, take the door out and you've got even more room. Okay, anyway. like lovely. Uh, just don't blow the slide. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Just leave the slides alone. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, my. I'm mentioning the max this week. No, no, no. Yes, yes. No, we've um, we've just skipped right over that because it's just yes. it's too much, isn't it's, it? Really? It's it's happening a lot. <laughs> Apologies, Matt. That was from the the article was from aerotime.aero. Marvelous. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, very good. All part of the fun. Well, that brings us to the end of the commercial section of the show. Um, have you got the stinger ready for the next segment, uh, Matt? Oh, I think I might have. Yes, indeed. Uh, he says, pressing all the wrong buttons. Uh, here we go. Yes, uh, sh shall I? Shall I? Shall I hit the go button? Yes. Attention, this is the final call for British Airways Flight Four Seven Five. Paging for passenger Mister Neville Miles. Your seat one A is waiting for you. Uh -oh. Well, it's not a major Nev's terminal tantrum this week, but. Um, I was in Barcelona, as I may have mentioned several times, um, uh, for the show that we do over there. 73,000 visitors, uh, not all on our booth at the same time, but it certainly felt like it, uh, which is why my voice is a bit faulty uh, this week. Uh, but we were speaking early on about uh, hand baggage on the aircraft, how much you can take on. Well, at uh, gate A10 uh, at Terminal 5, which is the bus gate, for those of you who know it, um, three Spanish folks turned up with enormous suitcases. And um, the uh, gate operatives said, well, you're not taking that on the aircraft in, in the hand luggage. Well, we can check it in for you, don't worry. No, 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 we, we can't check it in. We must take it as hand luggage. And they're going, well, you can't. How did you get it this far? Did you actually put it through the security mm. machine? They said, yes. So, I mean, these are really big suitcases. Really? Um, and an argument ensued, quite a loud one as well. Yeah. Um, and they were not having it, uh, nor were the airline, quite rightly. So um, this went on for about 10 minutes. We're just about to get on the bus, you know. Um, uh, but these are really big suitcases, the, the sort that you would buy if you were going to move or emigrate or you're going to be yeah, away for right. a long time you want a lot of stuff but um these people are completely unreasonable but i'm pleased to say that ba prevailed in the end by going you're not taking it on the flight at all now actually in fact we might even offload you unless you uh, start behaving yourself really um, so good. that was good to see a bit of authority and finger wagging going on uh, because um, I think it's unfair that 165 people mm. are being inconvenienced by these three Herberts at the front desk, you know. Um, but but they, they weren't even nice about it. They were just really rude and, and unpleasant, you know. But, but what, and this is the thing that gets me, I suppose we could have this conversation until, you know, a week past next Tuesday, couldn't we? But the, why do they think that they deserve different treatment to the other 200-odd people who have gone before them? Well, 
that that is a question that cannot be answered i don't think oh but yeah we're I, getting into society and oh, uh, oh gosh, all the issues <laughs> not there, so. tug at that thread goodness me yeah. we really will be here for a while uh yeah i just i but that's the thing though it's just like i mean in what universe did they think that 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 could be classed as hand luggage i mean uh, never mind the the ego involved in that scenario it's just out and out not safe to have something of that size in the cabin uh, i mean quite. it wouldn't um, I, I mean that's the point it won't even fit in the overhead locker how, no. how did they get it through the scanners that was that was the question that the ba check-in desk were asking how on earth did you get it through the, oh well, we just put it on and i mean it would have just gone through but they would have had to have you know put it right in the middle of it but it is, is so again forgive me forgive me for this but it's I, and i know I, I guess each airline has its own rules therefore they have to enforce their own rules etc etc but you'd like to think at some point security would have taken one look at that case and thought why is this coming through here? Yes. <laughs> and they should have, you know, for me personally, security are as much to blame for this. Did it cause much of a delay ever? Were they able to sort of well, get... Well, the funny thing was, of course, is that they rocked up just as the aircraft was boarding or just as the oh, bus was boarding. Yeah, right. So it's not as though they've even turned up early and said, look, we've made a bit of a mistake here. We don't know what we're doing. You know, could you check mm. it in? And that would have been great. There'd been no problem whatsoever. But they were insistent that they were going to carry it on as hand luggage. And, and ten minutes later, mm. they weren't. No. <laughs> so. No, indeed. As I say, but, but, but I, I feel that there's, there's an element of responsibility for security here as well. I'm sorry. I yeah. mean, they should have absolutely been querying why something so ridiculously huge was going through essentially hand luggage scanners, you know, like the, you know, the security on, on board bits and pieces. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why big stuff like this is supposed to be checked in, because they have the scanners available for those size cases. Yes. Um, but uh, anyway, the, uh, the rest of the flight was completely uneventful, um, although... Now, this is my own fault this time. Uh -oh. Do you remember last year, or was it the year before, when the baggage didn't arrive in, in Faro in Portugal? Yes, it, 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 may, it may have come up, yes. It didn't <laughs> arrive for three days for a one-week holiday. Yeah. So I'm going, right, I'm going to buy myself a couple of Apple Air Tags. And yes. they are brilliant, you know, yeah, really, yeah. really good. However, as we pushed off of the gate, um, my phone sprung into life. I'm sorry, it wasn't on flight mode, but there you go. Um, uh -huh. And it says, uh, your bag is, uh, has been left behind in, in this part of the terminal. What? I'm thinking, oh, no. You know, I'm just on the way to a, a big yeah. business event for a week uh, in the clothes that I'm wearing. Well, it's no good. But, I'm going to have to buy a suit while I'm there. Like, all, you know, <laughs> this is all this, like, madness. Like, yeah. But actually, uh, I needn't have worried because I think it was just an up updating thing, really. Uh, so when I've got to Barcelona, I uh, switched the phone back on. Um, and it did actually pick it up. Um, oh, okay. But, but for a while, it did Ew. say it was still at Heathrow Terminal 5. When I was in Barcelona, I'm thinking, oh, oh no. here we go again. But then yeah. suddenly it did update. So, oh, well, I thought uh, your tag had come off. That was why. No, well, yes. <laughs> well, I put it on the inside of the bag. So ah, very good. Yeah, okay. So. Yeah. But uh, no, that is the only snag with those things that if it, if it doesn't up update straight away, mm. then you think the, the worst has happened. Uh oh. Yeah. Um, but uh, it hadn't. But uh, no, it was a very good flight there. Nice temperature in Barcelona too, mm. seventeen or eighteen degrees, and really warm. It was 
very pleasant. Uh, as I mentioned in the chat room earlier, unfortunately, one of the disadvantages of Barcelona is the pickpocketing that goes on. And I mm. know of at least 10 incidents of my industry colleagues, not for the company that I work for, but other people that had their phones or wallet stolen wow. uh, as they were out and about. And it's one of those cities you've just got to be really aware of your surroundings, whether you're on the train or the metro or, or wherever it is. Um, it's a pity. Cause it never happens in Madrid, or I've never seen it happen in, in Madrid anyway, but Barcelona is definitely a hotspot for this kind of thing. So be careful, is what wow. I would say. So That's sad. Very sad. Uh, right, so that's the end of that. So uh, even though Armando's not here, we're going to have a bit of military. So uh, over to you, Matt, for a bit of music. Watch up, buggies, 2017 website uh, and the title is the most stunning f117 photos we've seen since its retirement now this is a good reason for watching the youtube version of this as well as listening to the audio podcast because uh, there are some photos and we have seen some great photos uh, of the f117 nighthawks that continue to operate in developmental test and training roles uh, these images have improved incrementally since the use as aggressor and for test support became openly discussed by the Air Force with the locales that could operate them from expanding along with it. Now with one set of images taken by aviation photographer James Reader, it's the best that's been seen. Now, the photos in question were taken in the uh, famed Sidewinder low-level route that circumnavigates much of the range complex that sits atop of the Mojave Desert and the many military test and training installations that dot it. Uh, this particular section of the route, which has steep canyon walls, provides an especially dramatic backdrop for military aircraft rocketing through. It is perhaps the best vantage point that, that can be seen of the famous route since the Jedi transition through Rainbow Canyon was shut down to military aircraft after a deadly crash in 2019. Uh, whilst there's been some great shots of a similar vantage point of F-117s, uh, the lightning and knife-edge profiles shown in the images below are truly exceptional. Every detail on the top half of the black jet is highlighted and its planar exhausts are fully visualized in action. Uh, well, James Reader explained to the war zone that he received a message about a pair of FA-18s that would be flying through the route and that their pilots would love photos if he was out there. Reader says he enjoys the interaction with the pilots, uh, so he decided that he could, uh, could, I could make it up there to get some shots. Uh, arriving at my perch of choice after a bit of a climb, I settled in and waited for what I thought would be a pair of F-18s. Imagine my surprise when I saw a tiny black jet rounding the turn and then another. When I realized that these were F-117s, I was so shocked, almost forgot to shoot. I had never captured this aircraft in the wild before. When I saw the lights on the aircraft as they approached, I knew that I'd been blessed with a great opportunity. Using my Canon 5Ds and the Canon 100-400mm uh, lens, I followed both aircraft and clicked off as many shots as my pathetically slow buffer and limited frame rate would allow. 
that after they passed I couldn't resist chimping my photos looking through the photos in the preview on the DSLR screen to make sure that I had captured what I wanted I was thrilled to say the least I think I yelled something unintelligible to the other two guys out there and threw my hands in the air the day proved fruitful beyond the pair of 117 and FA18s. I also shot five F15s and eight FA18s and enjoyed seeing them all. But those two Nighthawks were the stars of the show that day. Uh, yes, I got the shots for the F18 pilots. Jared Hamilton was also out there and caught the video that he shared on X. Uh, it's the ultimate companion to those incredible photos. What an amazing set of photographs, aren't they, guys? Mm, yeah, really good. Really detailed. Yeah, incredible, yeah. aren't they? That's really very incredible. cool. I've actually been been to that location, and um, about half an hour before I got there, I was actually um, I was out there on holiday and being a proper tourist, and I was in a a convertible Mustang with the roof down. And, As um, you do. <laughs> um, I actually got buzzed by an F eighteen, which came wow. down very low um, and flew right over the top of the car, and absolutely scared the what's it yeah, out of me i bet yeah yeah and i actually had um i'd actually because i knew i was going to be doing a really long drive i'd sort of put my phone on the mm. dash doing a um a time lapse oh, okay and i actually managed to go back through the time lapse and find the point where the the, the plane actually flew across the top but uh, yeah it's one of the it's a it's an amazing location out there it's uh just as you drop down into death valley it's it's absolutely stunning so, yeah highly recommend it definitely well, even uh, Chris Marsh, who's in the chat room, who's a well-known photographer uh, that, that we interact with a lot, even he says, wow, great image. So, uh, yeah, fabulous stuff. And, uh, yeah, some really good stuff in there, isn't there? Superb. Absolutely. Uh, right, Nick, you've got the final story. Penultimate story. We have one oh, more from Armando. Oh, we do, don't we? Of course. My bad. Yeah, so this one's from the uh, EAA.org. That's the uh, the organisation behind the, the, the famous Oshkosh show, which I think we should all be going to at some point. Uh, so the Frecce Tricolori Aerobatic team are to participate in the Oshkosh show this year. Uh, the Frecce Tricolori, the military aerobatic team representing the Italian Air Force, will be making its first Oshkosh appearance since 1986 when it arrives to participate at the Air Venture Show in 2024. The 71st edition of the EAA Fly-In Convention is July the 22nd to the 28th at Whitman Regional Airport in Oshkosh. The Italian team, formerly known as the 313th Aerobatic Training Squadron, is scheduled to be at Oshkosh on Tuesday, July the 23rd as part of the third North American tour in its history. With the already announced demonstrations from the Canadian Forces Snowbirds at Air Venture 2024, it marks the first time that the EAA fly-in will have two military demonstration teams in a single year at the week-long event. It's been nearly 40 years since we've welcomed these skilled Italian Air Force pilots to Oshkosh, and to have them here in 2024 adds an unprecedented dimension to this year's fly-in, said Rick Larson. EAA's Vice President of Communities and Mem Member Programs, who coordinates Air Venture features and attractions. EAA Air Venture Oshkosh has always been an international event, and the presence of the Frecce Tricolori further confirms Oshkosh as the place for the aviation world's annual family reunion. 
uh, Freccia tricolori, which tra translates to tricolor or tricolor arrows in English, will arrive at Oshkosh on Tuesday, July 23rd, and is scheduled to participate as part of the afternoon air show. Its aerial demonstrations at AirVenture will be uh, modified. Will be a modified display featuring tight flyby formations and co colourful smoke trails in the team's Air Mackie trainer jets. The team was officially founded in 1961, combining aerobatic units from throughout the Italian Air Force, and consists of ten pilots with nine formation pilots plus a solo. Uh, all combat-ready personnel from operational squadrons throughout the Italian Air Force and is currently commanded by Lieutenant Colonel Mas Massimiliano Salvatore. Bless Frecce you. Tricolori. We always get tripped up on uh, <laughs> foreign languages, don't we? It's, yeah. it's sort of our tradition. Um, normally we leave it to Carlos. Uh, Frecce Tricolori has previously made North American tours in 1986 and 1992. And this year's tour is in support of the Royal Canadian Air Force Centennial that is also bringing the snowbirds to Oshkosh. And with the snowbirds highlighting our celebration of the Royal Canadian Air Force Centennial, the numerous US jet teams already committed, and now the Italian military aerobatic team joining us, 2024 will be an unforgettable year at Oshkosh. Um, as we prepare for this year's edition, the world's greatest aviation celebration, there's much more to come as well. I must say, uh, it's definitely on the bucket list for me. Yeah, we, we've got to do that one year. Yeah, like, yeah I, I really I, want to go. It would just be absolutely amazing. It's always one of those things that every time it comes around, I'm looking at it on social media and getting real FOMO. Mm, definitely. Definitely. And, it, and as you say, and of course, we're, we're in a very, very unique position as well in the fact that we do genuinely, we will, you know, if we turn up there, we will genuinely be, be meeting old friends. That's the, that's the scary yeah. thing about something like that, isn't it? There's going to be, you know, we, we're going to be spending time with people we actually know, which is, uh, would be very, very cool, isn't it? One year, one year, yeah. we'll have to do it. Definitely do it. Yeah. Uh, now, as you mentioned, Matt, there's a item from Armando uh, next. Is that right? Indeed. Uh, and uh, uh, as as we know, he he doesn't like to be in any form of any glamorous or interesting location. So uh, uh, let's find out what story number three in the military this week is all about. Hey guys, good morning. It's a nice chilly day to be flying the biplane. Um, I got one military story for you. A Boeing. Said Friday that some quality problems with parts slated for the T-7A uh, Hawk training jet means that it will delay several months delivering the next test aircraft to the United States Air Force. Now, Boeing is also planning to start some low-rate initial production on the T-7 mid-2024, um, several months later than the company's original plan. A Boeing vice president and T-7 program manager Evelyn Moore told Defense News on Friday that supply chain issues were actually uh, why the company will postpone the planned start of its production schedule. Now, the Air Force plans to buy 351 T-7s from Boeing by 2034 to replace its fleet of T-38s. Uh, the T-7, of course, is designed to emulate those fifth-generation fighters like the F-35, make it easier for um, service, uh, the Air Force and other services to train new pilots to fly uh, these kind of modern fighters and bombers. Now, the Air Force awarded Boeing a $9.2 billion contract in 2018 to build that T-7 fleet, um, as well as provide the simulators and uh, other support, maintenance support, all that stuff. Now, more wouldn't detail the types of parts that had problems, but 
said that there were multiple parts of varying sizes from several different suppliers. Uh, Boeing had to send some of those parts back to their original manufacturer for repairs, and uh, she said that the suppliers have already started quickly, air quotes, fixing the faulty parts. Um, of course, Boeing has a quality team working with its suppliers to understand exactly what went wrong with these parts and address these problems. But man, the kit, the hits just keep on coming for Boeing, and um, boy, uh, I can't wait till they're not in the news anymore. Yeah, I mean, Armando is absolutely on, on something there, isn't it? I mean, it is a bit relentless at the moment, isn't it? It has to be said. It uh, makes the post office scandal look like a walk in the park, doesn't it, really? Oh, um, I, don't know. I don't know if we should be going well, there. Maybe not. No, that was a poor, poor <laughs> comparison, perhaps. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, scary yeah, stuff. Man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, mm, uh, don't know what to but, make of uh, it. Yes. Uh, right, so the next item uh, is the competition. A couple of weeks ago, we... Uh, asking a question. We had a lot of entries, actually, but only three correct answers. No! Um, oh, I know, wow. amazing. So the prize is uh, this amenity kit, Ooh. which you get in uh, British Airways uh, business class, in fact. And we've got one of these to give away. How many have you and got in your collection, just out of interest? Uh, <laughs> one or two. Well, I haven't got any left. I think Mrs Nev has Ah, very good, yes, yes. Most yeah. of them, actually. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But the no, question... Can you confirm whether or not you've used the toothbrush? I have used... No, it's brand new. Oh, OK. Oh. Uh, I, I did actually break the little um, gimbal tag just to make sure everything was in there. But, right, uh, yes, OK. It is. It's, yeah. a, it's a rather nice uh, pouch. Um, so the question was, which firm supplies exclusively British Airways with their amenity kits in Club World? And the answer is... You can see it on there. It's the white stuff. It's oh, oh I, do you know, I saw that in the, st on, in the notes there and I thought, hello, somebody's having a laugh. No, that's what it is. That's who they are. So I've got three answers in the, uh, the Biggin Hill hat here. And I'm going to draw out one at random and let's see who the lucky winner is. Uh, gosh, I'll put this one together well, didn't I? You did. He can't unfold it. Look. I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> there we go. Oh, there he is. It's uh, it's Neil Landworm. Ah, so well nice. done, Neil. Excellent job. Uh, I will put that in the post to you this week. Um, if you could remind me of your address by just sending that to podcast at plaintalkuk.com, uh, and I will stick it in the post to you. So yeah, well done. Marvelous. Good for you. Excellent stuff. Now, we've not got a competition this week. Oh, we've got to wait till Carlos is back next week because mm -hmm. we're going to start raiding his uh, book um, collection again. Um, I so... mean, I can confirm he's got a load of guff hanging up on his walls that he definitely doesn't need. Well, uh, and aircraft parts. <laughs> Maybe we should start yeah, giving I, those I think things so, away. yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So... I wonder how well, that, how, 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 how well that would go down. Uh, I mean, have I you think... got his keys, Matt? Get I have. No. Start getting the bits. I actually do. I still have his keys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Gemma, I think would probably thank me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, so next Carlos... week's prize is a triple seven window. Oh, yes. what a treat! Yes, absolutely. <laughs> see what well, I wonder if he's got a door in there somewhere as well. Oh, but, uh, oh you see. Door, but... Yes. Well, seven three seven max door. Yeah. Oh, I, I went there. Oh dear! Oh dear! <laughs> now we mentioned the uh, drone summit show mm. in Dublin. Um, so a few of us are going to be there. 
It's on the first and second of Sept uh, of March. Yep. Oh, I'm September. First and second of March at the uh, RDS Royal Dublin Showground in Dublin, which is near Ballsbridge, um, and it'll be Matt, Carlos, myself, and a three twenty Matt has somehow managed to blag a trip as well. <laughs> as he um, now, right? Okay. I, hope he's, I hope he's buying the beers. That's all I can. Yeah, say. yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> So we're going there to learn more about uh, that sort of business, and it's a fascinating program. It's it, it's unbelievably interesting. Um, so there's lots of speakers there that are going to be part of the conference, and I'm just lining up some interviews with as many as we can before we get there, so we can actually do interviews with them. Um, and then on the Saturday, uh, we're planning a listener meetup. So if anyone is in Dublin or the Dublin area. Um, we'll be, sta we'll be staying at the Clayton Hotel uh, in Ballsbridge, which is right next to the RDS uh, centre itself. Oh, nice. um, so we'll be staying there on the Friday and Saturday night, but we're going to organise a bit of a listener meet-up on the 2nd. So if anyone is around and they would like to come, mm. uh, probably best to drop us a note if you can, yeah. so we just know who you are and, and uh, your name and that kind of stuff. So send that to podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. Uh, and if you're about and you'd like to have a drink with us and a chat and meet the team, or some of the team at least, then we will be there. Now, I'm super, super excited about this because I don't get to go on these trips very often. And we have accidentally stumbled across something that I'm genuinely quite interested in. So this is this is very exciting for me. I do love a drone. I love my drone. Mm. But have you been using it very much? Uh, well, yes, yeah, so not as much as I would have liked to. I use it about sort of five or six times this year, just gone. In fact, actually, I've got to redo my CAA test because uh, that is now due uh, at the end of the month. So I need to do I need to do that. So I, oh, uh, I will be I will be a very good boy and get that done before before the current uh, license expires. And how long is the license? Uh, twelve for? months. You have to renew it every twelve months. So, is it? Yeah, oh. two parts to it. You have to do one for you and one for the the registration of the device itself as well. So oh, yeah. yeah, there we go. Blimey. Yeah, it has its own little like serial number and everything on it. So uh, yeah, but the CAA issue so that they can identify it. Well, does it have like the Reg Golf Mike Alpha Tango Tango or something like that? Uh, not quite. Not quite. It's a little bit more sort of alphanumerical than that. Um, oh. But uh, but yeah, it, it does have it. It does have an official CAA um, yeah registration on it. So uh, that's quite cool. I think I, I think it's cool anyway. But then I don't get out much, as we know. So there we go. That's why I'm excited about going to a drone show. Does yours Dublin. have the capability to follow you, Matt? It very much does. Yes. So if if I was riding my motorbike down a, a pretty canyon road, I, I could have yes. it programmed so it could follow me along and take really cool images yeah basically yeah so it uses it once, once you've sort of set it all up what it'll do is it'll then track you using the gps in your f telephony device right and it will ping um uh it's got like a strong wi-fi connection between your device and and um and the drone itself um and, cool. it'll, and it'll send information and stuff yes yeah, it's, it's, it's a very very cool drone nice it's not one of those fancy dji things or anything like that but it's uh it is a very very cool drone right well we're coming to the end of the show so let's have a quick round up on what people are up to for the next week or so andy what's uh are you still stuck in the sim for a while or... um i'm in the simulator again tomorrow in the morning and then more meetings in the afternoon but then i'm going home tomorrow night and then i have a 
fun-filled week of writing learning objectives and mapping compliance against ERSA and UKCAA rules. So that sounds fun, doesn't it? Beg your pardon. <laughs> but then I am. I am going flying on Monday. What? I thought you'd yeah. given that up. <laughs> well, I've got, to, I've got to stay current, and oh, I realise that yeah. I will drop out of currency because I'm going on holiday next Saturday yes. for a week. Mm. So I thought I best go flying. So I'm going to Belfast City and back, and then Belfast Aldergrove and back. Steady now. Nice, Steady quick, now. Quick flights, less than an hour each. <laughs> Careful, we don't overdo it. I mean, that, that seems, that, that, that's that's my level now. Right, fair enough. Yeah, it seems like Stick quite to a, domestic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who, who, Although, you think you, who do you think you are, Captain Jeff? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm. I'll be flying to uh, Belfast City on uh, Monday, actually. Oh, are you uh, next week? Yes. Oh, yeah. That's what I'm going on Monday. Um, okay. It's my it's my first trip into city. Is it? Oh, oh, well, yes. Well, don't uh, don't muck it up, will you? Because right, um, okay. What, do you know what your times? Yes. Well, do you know what your times are? I mean, is is Andy potentially going to be causing you a delay, Nev? That's, the, that's well, the if question. he causes me to go around and divert, I'll be very cross. Definitely. Whoa, 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 whoa! I'm not planning anything like that, Matt. Come on. <laughs> it may have been. It may be my first flight. This year, right? Okay, I've right. Got so much <laughs> oh, absolutely, never in doubt. Absolutely, never in doubt. Are you guys going to be there at the same time, or are you just doing a turnaround? I suppose you're doing a turnaround, aren't you, Andy? Oh, I'm going straight back to Manchester, then I'm going back again to Aldergrove a bit further right. uh, west. Okay. Rubbish, and then back again to Manchester. So for about twenty minutes, you'll both be in the same place. <laughs> yeah, that could happen. Yes. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Never mind, Dave. Oh. Never mind. Well, so I'm going to be at the International Convention Centre in Belfast, actually, uh, seeing a customer there. So lovely. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, Belfast City is. Um, when I first started going there, back in oh, 1986, I think it was. It was a uh, Logan Air Shorts 360 from Edinburgh, and the weather was horrific. It is one of the bumpiest flights I've ever had in my life. Really. Uh, it was just not nice, and I'm I'm a pretty. Good and you're flyer. a seasoned flyer, I think, is the word we're looking <laughs> but for. But that yeah. that was a long time ago, and it was. That's a, any flight in the caravan. Well, that's I mean, true, it, isn't it? it yeah. Or the flying shed, as they used to call it, the yes. shorts 360. <laughs> oh dear, but um, oh, no, it was. Um, but now, because Belfast City Airport today is very different from the one that I arrived at, although mm. all that a lot yes. longer. L less less ca corrugated iron than well, the yes. original. Yeah, it's got a proper terminal and, <laughs> yeah. and, and things, nice things like that. But Indeed. Uh, yeah, so. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, so, uh, Nick, what are you up to uh, next week? Oh, uh, very busy at work at the moment. Um, I should I should mention that um, while Andy's been in the simulator, I've actually been doing some flight testing of my own this past week oh. um my my daughter had some school homework which required the construction of a parachute capable of safely transporting um, an egg to the ground right now now, 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 now nick 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 i'm sorry i'm gonna have to butt in there you are aware that it was supposed to be her homework and not yours right just, yes. just, just checking right okay yes she is five <laughs> that's that's irrelevant that's irrelevant you know it's just like you know he's just like wow that was really amazing clearly made by her dad yeah, uh, i hope you've gone through a detailed test flight process for this well, I did do an initial <laughs> test flight using a, a um, an appropriately weighted multi-tool instead of an egg. Um, <laughs> oh, for goodness and then, sake. 
that, so that worked first. okay. So I then went to a hard boiled egg, right? Which I which I safely flew three times. So okay, I've, I've, I've deemed that to be a success. Safe, conclusion. right? Okay, very good. Yep. Okay. Very good. Have you given it a program like the Apollo program, the Mercury program? Have you given it a name? This. Uh... Well, it was made out of a um, an old bin bag, so maybe we could call it the Dark Knight or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something suitably menacing. <laughs> Goodness me, he's taking uh, quite the turn. Taking quite the turn. Yeah, oh, no, outrageous. Right. And yeah. uh, Matt, what, what's uh, what's on your agenda for next week? Uh, not a lot, really. Um, as, as I said, sort of earlier, um, the uh, I'm sort of covering uh, the breakfast show on Park Radio for uh, what, for a little while, while the person who normally does it is uh, uh, sadly having a full MOT and service. Uh, so he'll come back fighting fit, hopefully all being well. So yeah, so covering that at the moment for uh, for the next sort of eight weeks or so. So if you are looking for something to listen to um do feel free to tune in parkradio.co.uk or if you download the radio player app onto your phone and or you've got one of the devices you can ask it to play uh, park radio and it'll appear um and i'm on i'm on the radio from six till nine every morning every, uh, five days a week at the moment so yeah gosh that's that's quite a quite a schedule. Though, it's isn't quite it? an early start. There's no two ways, two ways about yeah. it. And because of my work commitment, whilst I do have a lovely home studio, which ordinarily I would do it from, uh, um, because I have to be. Uh, fortunately, the studio and work are uh, less than four minutes away from each other. Yeah. Um, but uh, it does require me to get up early, go to the studio, and do it rather than do it from the comfort of the lovely PTUK studio, which is Absolutely, a shame. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's uh, very honoured in, in many ways. Well it's exhausting um i'm very very honored to have been asked to to cover it because they are very if, if anybody uh who lives around here knows john O'Abel, he is a a well-respected and huge broadcaster in this part of our world so to be asked to sit in his shoes for a little while is quite humbling so nice great opportunity well good mm. for you uh, well, so don't forget, if you want to get in contact with us uh, on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram, just search the social media platforms for Plain Talking UK. Uh, our WhatsApp number is plus 44-757-224-9166. That's plus 44-757-224-9166. You can email the show, podcast at plaintalkinguk.com. If you're planning to come to Dublin uh, on the 1st or 2nd of uh, March, then please drop us a note and then the website is all the w's plaintalkinguk.com we're also on youtube as you know and you'll get notifications when we go live and you can help shape the conversation of the show by joining us in the chat room as many people have done this evening uh, don't forget you can also become a patreon of the show uh, and use paypal also uh, all the details for that are on our website also uh, well, I think that's about it for this week. Uh, Carlos will be back next week, and no doubt telling you his woes of poor BA service on the way back from Geneva. Um, so uh, I can't wait to hear about that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, myself, I'm going to be, um, uh, should be on the show next week, all being well. I say I'm going to be flying Excellent. to Belfast City, I think, on Monday, by the looks of things. And uh, Andy will be on holiday. Woo! <laughs> yes. Where are you going to, Andy? Anywhere nice? Oh, that's not until next next Saturday. I'm ah, next week. Right. Ah, okay, excellent. And we're off to Tenerife next Saturday. Oh, lovely! Oh, nice. Should be nice. Morning. What a treat! Lovely. Yeah, love the sound of that. Marvelous. Oh, okay. Well, there well, we go. 
So thanks very much indeed for joining everybody and thanks to Andy, Nick and Matt for joining me tonight on the show and I'd just like to wish everybody a very nice rest of the week and a nice weekend as well. All the best to you. Bye for now.